Hello and welcome to episode 161 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz and welcome back to the States, Ian. Tell us where you went. What did you do? <laughs> Thanks, Jason. It's uh, it's good to be home. All I think I was gone, what, 29 hours? 30, 30 hours, maybe. long enough to need to get a COVID test to come home. Yeah, well, theoretically, I could have taken one before I left because I was only gone one calendar day and come back. But I, I did provide the Canadian economy with some additional funding for their pharmacies by getting one while I was there. But yeah, no, I, I went up to Toronto. It was actually a really interesting thing to participate in. I went up to Toronto to participate in an upcoming episode of the National Geographic show Air Crash Investigation. Oh, so that, that's interesting. That'll be – yeah, well, I'll flag that for anyone who, who wants to, to watch the episode in. I, I asked him, I'm like, when, so when will this you know come out? And he's like, I don't know. Eventually. Maybe. <laughs> Eventually. You <laughs> might not even so, be in it. Maybe they cut you. Yeah, happened to aww. me before. Oh. But yeah, it was an interesting experience to walk through – you know the final rep- final investigative report and and kind of pick apart uh, some of the things that that happened and and some of the data that we had. So that was that was a really interesting experience. Very quick trip out Monday and back Tuesday. The most you know, kind of av geeky thing I, I guess was the you know said well, what, what, how do you want to get here in Chicago to Toronto? There's only a few options. So we did that and took the Air Canada flights, but the return ticket, the outbound ticket was booked. Both of the tickets were booked through an online travel agency. The outbound ticket, so Chicago to to Toronto was on Air Canada, an Air Canada flight, Air Canada Canada Express, but the ticket was issued by Air Canada. Coming home, it was a United ticket for an Air Canada flight operated as Air Canada Express by Jazz Aviation. And, and I just thought that was like a perfect encapsulation of, of how many layers of aviation there are. A wonderful set of circumstances. Yeah. Check your so, ticket carefully. As these days, your connecting flight might not even be an airplane. That's true. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We did. Or last week. I We were talking about this before, before we hit record. It was like these short trips just throw me for such a loop now. It used to be the the kind of the only kind of flying I did, and now it's just these single overnight trips are just they they throw me for a loop now. I forget where and when I am. Well, I can assure you, it's Wednesday, and you're in Chicago. So let's do a podcast. Okay. How how are you, sir? I'm good. Let's get to it. All right. So this was one thing. We'll start the show off with a a report I did not expect to no, ever see. Did not see this one coming today. No, certainly did not see this one coming. How many uh, years th- has it been since this? So this was 2016. So this was six years ago. Does this predate the podcast? I think it might. Yeah. Yeah, it wow. predates the podcast by by about a year. We started doing this in, in March of 2017, so a little less than a year before we started doing the podcast. This was Egypt Air Flight 804 from Paris to Cairo in May of 2016. It crashed into the Mediterranean Sea nearing the Egyptian coast. And in 2016, the investigation was in full swing. They recovered both the cockpit voice recorder and the flight data recorder. The French BEA took the lead, was delegated the ability to decipher both of the recorders and and provide the analysis for those. And then we didn't really hear much 
beyond that because the Egyptian government was still responsible for providing public information. And a certain point, the Egyptian government or the Egyptian investigators said that they had found it came out that there was an evidence of there was evidence of fire on board and then the egyptian government came out uh, unilaterally and said that they had discovered explosive residue on parts of the aircraft and that made it a judicial matter it was no longer a matter for the air crash investigative authorities it was now a a criminal matter and it was referred to the the prosecutor of egypt the general prosecutor in egypt fast forward 6 years today an article in uh, Corriere della Sera in Italy by uh, Leonard Berberi, who is uh, a longtime aviation reporter in, in Italy, comes out, says that they have reviewed a 134-page confidential document put together by the BEA that places the most likely cause of the crash on the one of the pilots smoking a cigarette on the flight deck and that cigarette igniting a leaking emergency oxygen mask, oxygen from the emergency oxygen mask for one of the pilots. So this is still just a hypothesis at this point, that their their best guess at what happened. I don't think we're really ever going to see a definitive final investigation report issued by the French authorities. So this is seemingly as close as we'll get, but it, it's a pretty damning report and something that just should never have happened. If it did indeed happen like this, it's kind of unthinkable that there are still airlines out there that let flight crews smoke on board the aircraft. I, I, that's insane that it's still a thing. I personally know that I, I have smelled air cigarette smoke on board a flight on one of the Chinese airlines, and that's apparently not very uncommon. But that's kind of insane that it's been outlawed virtually, I think worldwide, that for all passengers – but that the crew can still that in can still do that in close proximity to oxygen, which is just crazy that this was a thing that possibly happened. Yeah. So a couple things about why this report exists and some of the details here. So the report is not an investigation into the crash to be a a final report issued as a uh, air accident investigation report like the official report for the for the crash that falls to the Egyptian government and their investigative authorities like Jason said we're probably never going to see it. if we haven't seen one by now it's unlikely that we'll see one this report was a, a confidential report prepared by French experts that was sent to the Paris Court of Appeal which is investigating the crash because there were 12 French citizens on board the aircraft and the French I, I don't claim to know everything about the French legal system but what I do know from from following uh, enough air accident investigations over the years is that the, the French begin a criminal investigation in most of these circumstances just be, because purely that's how their legal system works. So there's a, a judge that begins the, the legal process and begins investigating this and then decides whether you know, or not to, to proceed from there. So that's what this report was, was made for. It's thoroughly detailed. I mean, it was the paper notes that the report is 134 pages in depth and goes through is basically a an accident investigation report and details the most likely cause 
of the fire and, and then the fire causing the crash. But again, they say this is just just a hypothesis based on all the investigation that they were allowed to do before they had to basically stop and, and say, okay, now this this Egypt has said this is a judicial investigation on their part, so we're we're stopping our work. So it, it'll be interesting to see what, if anything, comes of comes of this the report's existence being made known in this manner, or if it was going to become known anyway because it had been passed off to the to the judicial authorities in France. Yeah. And it's not like this is something that was even released publicly as far as I am aware. I think it was right. probably no, viewed it was by one, one outlet and then just they, they published excerpts of it, but this hasn't even been released to the public. Correct. Correct. Yeah. This was sent to the, the French judicial authorities and, and the newspaper got a copy of it somehow. Let's stick with the BEA and go to an official investigative update. This is the investigation update into the 777 on the 5th of April that was landing at Shah de Gaulle that experienced a lateral deviation or what was first reported as a lateral deviation from its flight path landing in Paris and then a, there was a subsequent go around. The BEA said the, the following day that they were investigating the situation and then today, 22 days later, they issued a preliminary update. And I now have many, 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 many more yeah, questions. There's that old saying, this just raises further questions. And Ian and I were, were chatting earlier today when this was first released. It just This is a real head scratcher. So essentially what the, the press release or the investigation update boils down to was that the aircraft was actually fine. It was doing what it was told. There were no no warnings, no malfunctions of any sort. Autopilot was actually disconnected, so it wasn't even an, a case of autopilot gone wrong. But it, it seemed like it it came down to a CRM breakdown, crew resource management, in that uh, one pilot was doing one thing while the other pilot was doing the opposite thing. That should never really happen. There should be a pilot flying and a pilot monitoring. But in this case, it seems like both pilots were, were attempting to fly the plane at the same time doing opposite things. And, and we've seen this before uh, with tragic circumstances uh, quite a while back with the Air France A330 over the Atlantic. Um, but thankfully, this incident ended uh, without tragedy. Yeah, it's it's certainly something that the the investigative update leads to further questions and and provides some some really good I guess lessons already for for things that you know that you don't want to have happen on the flight deck. But you know, you you mentioned, you know, like they were doing different things and and things like that, but the whole situation just starts seemingly out of nowhere. Yeah. Um and maybe that's maybe that's the the investigative update is short on details because the investigators are still looking into this and they don't fully understand it so they didn't want to say anything or or maybe that's, you know, something that they just haven't been able to ascertain yet. But the update is basically the pilot flying who was the the first officer disconnects the autopilot, continues the approach Aircraft is doing fine, rolls a little, rolls a little, rolls a little, you know, everything's less, roll angles less than two degrees. So nothing huge, not many inputs, 
the first officer makes you know inputs on the control column. It's still small. Left and right roll is less than three degrees either way, and then it goes from the left and right roll being less than three degrees to the co-pilot expressed his astonishment. And I'm quoting the the update here now. Expressed his astonishment with respect to the aeroplane's bank angle. Yeah, quite confusing as it goes from a roll of less than three degrees, which was still completely within Air France's stabilized approach uh, guidelines, to somehow the co-pilot's astonished. We we don't know what the actual words were. Maybe there's some ambiguity here. But why was he astonished with the airplane's bank angle? Um, and and from there, it, it seems to the situation amplifies quite quickly. I think is what they said. It, the the yeah. roll inputs puts were amplified, and the average position of the wheel was then at six degrees to the left. And then that's what the airplane did. The airplane turned left with a small bank angle, and then the captain voiced his uh, his surprise with respect to the deviation from the flight path. Yeah, that makes sense. And then they did they banked more. Now it was banked seven degrees to the left with the wheel oriented 16 degrees to the left. And at that point, the crew initiated a go around. But they say up until the go around, the flight path had remained within the operator's stabilization criteria. So that's a little odd, but you can never fault a crew for deciding to go around if everything is not up to their biking. That, that's a good decision. But from there, it gets even more confusing, doesn't it? Yeah. So at that point, once the decision has been made to go around, both it the falls first apart. officer, yeah, both the first officer, and we'll include the the BEA's update here because they they provide a helpful graphic of a readout from the flight data recorder that breaks down when they disconnected the autopilot and when they commenced the go around. And from the go around, at that point, both pilots, the the pilot flying, who's supposed to have his hands on the controls, who's the first officer, and the captain, who's supposed to be the pilot monitoring, they're both imp- putting inputs onto, onto the controls. And the investigative update doesn't say anything about whether the captain said you know, that it was his airplane and that he was taking over or anything like that. So given that the, the update was fairly specific in the timings of things, I feel like they would have mentioned that if it had happened. And so they were providing opposite inputs at certain points that at certain points in time, the inputs were so dissimilar that the control columns were no longer in sync. This is an interesting piece that I learned about today that when we had the Air France A330 crash, that was with an Airbus, obviously, with side sticks rather than a wheel, as they call it in this case. Why, why are they calling it a wheel again? Is that a, a translation thing or is that like... Is that a common term to call the the yoke a wheel? I think they're trying to make a dis- I don't I don't know. That's a, a very interesting question. Okay. Anyway, we can call it a wheel. Yeah, I'll call it a wheel from here on out. Yoke equals wheel. But with Airbus, they have side sticks and they have something called side stick priority. They're not active, so what's happening on the left side of the aircraft with the side stick is not being replicated on the right side. Only one of them is actually controlling what the aircraft is doing, regardless of the other side. In this case, it's a Boeing aircraft with the wheel and the two act i believe as one am i getting that right that they yeah that yeah. the when you move on the other one normally moves. yeah normally when one moves the other moves but in this case the bea provided a footnote that said the boeing 777 is equipped with mechanisms to override any jamming of a column or wheel the right and left control channels are desynchronized in roll or pitch if antagonistic forces 
on the right and left sides due to a jam or one of the control channels or opposing forces applied by the two pilots exceeds a certain threshold of around 50 pounds. The controls are synchronized again when the opposing forces return to below the mechanism activation threshold. And in this case, the BEA says the columns were desynchronized for 14 seconds due to opposing forces, and then again briefly twice with uh, for a much shorter period of time. But that's pretty dramatic that the, the two pilots would have been so out of sync that the control columns of, of this 777 would have been desynchronized as designed, but that's something I learned about today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I knew that that could happen, but I, the footnote is a helpful explanation of, of why and how. The other thing that the the update notes is why we have audio from the flight deck of this basically the whole incident. Because of the the pressures that the crew is putting on the um the control column, they had depressed the the push to talk button as well as the autopilot disconnect button. So there were oral warnings and and you could hear what was happening on the flight deck because those buttons were being pressed as well as the pilots working to both working to control the aircraft. Yeah. And that that did go out over the uh ATC radio and that was I'm sure several of you if not many have heard the air traffic control recordings, the French recordings, and it, it sounded like they were having a real fight against the aircraft, but it, it turns out it's more likely that they were actually fighting against each other. And and BEA also published some charts where you could see the uh, the the pitch of the aircraft. The left control column looks like it was calling for negative eight degrees, while the, the right side was calling for eight degrees, those, those up. So they were quite dramatically calling for very different responses at the same time. Yeah. So lots to investigate CRM-wise in this, but uh, the the initial investigation ha- has shown that the aircraft itself was actually fine. Confused, but fine. Confused, but fine. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what further recommendations the final report offers. Yeah, and of when, course, remember, this is a, a preliminary investigation report. There's no blame associated, no findings, no recommendations. That will come, uh, let's say, a couple of years from now, probably. Yeah, eventually. Eventually. It will come eventually. Speaking of safety, we talked a few weeks ago, I think at this point, when the European Union revised its list of aircraft that are banned in EU airspace. That list normally includes airlines that have a history of poor safety performance or their safety record cannot be verified. Um that list was added onto a few weeks ago, and most, if not all, major Russian carriers were added to that list. This week, the FAA in the US basically did the same thing by down, downgrading Russia's safety standard, and that prevents is similar to the EU list, but, but there's a, a, some technical distinctions, I, I guess we could say. Yeah, I believe this is the same thing that the FAA imposed on Mexico not all that long ago, which I think is still in place. It, it kind of, if it's the same level of downgrade, it basically prevents Russian airlines from adding any new routes to the US and also has some code share implications, but effectively this this doesn't change anything since no Russian airline is flying to the US or can can even practically fly here. Right. 
Oh, I, I did see a Volga going back to the, the beginning of the show. I did see a Volga AN124 at Pearson parked off kind of uh, off to the side somewhere. So I, I wonder where's the crew right now? Yeah. I don't know. I assume they probably took a commercial flight to Europe and, and, and got home that way. But May, I, I don't know. I, I have seen people ask, what happens to that aircraft? Is it, it It's kind of being held hostage, but not really because it, it has nowhere to go. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Nope. Sticking with Russia, Aeroflot is now out of Sky Team. Okay. Matching uh, One World's decision or I guess agreement with S7 to uh, – Remove them from the that uh, alliance. This is long overdue, more so than S seven. But Aeroflot, I mean, Aeroflot's—they had no business being in a global alliance at this point, since it's a state-owned airline operating stolen aircraft. It, it's just—it didn't make any sense. This one took too long, but finally, the, the the right decision was was made. I wonder how many lawyers were involved with drafting the precise language necessary for that. But the decision has been taken and they're now out. Should we now turn our attention to more, I guess, financial matters? Okay. Yeah, we got a All nice right. bit of financial news here. There's there's plenty. We'll stick with the, the aircraft portion of the financial news. But Boeing issued its first, uh, 2022 first quarter results today. And there's quite a bit. There's some good so, and some bad. There's, yeah, there, there's, it's um, overall not great, but there are some things that are, are ticking up. Not I, great, I guess you not say. terrible. Yeah, yes. Three Rankin. The first thing we'll talk about, let's do the, you want to do the 777-9 first, I suppose is kind of the, the biggest news. It is the biggest news, but it was scooped by John Osterauer at the Air Current a few days ago that it is officially official now that the 777X program won't see its first deliveries until now at least 2025. Now, let's pause for, for shock. No, no one's no one in the room is surprised by that? I, okay. No, I'm looking around. Nope. No, no, nobody's reacting surprised to that. Um, I think everyone saw that coming. It's taking a long time to get what's essentially a derivative aircraft certified. I don't think the fault of, on that is is completely rested with Boeing. The FAA, I'm, I'm sure, is pouring over every single detail of this aircraft in excruciating detail. But yeah, 2025, not looking great for the rollout of this aircraft. No, I, I mean, it, if I'm a 777-9 customer... So Tim Clark at Emirates said that they're still committed to the aircraft. He said some other things, but about maybe not the seven eight. Right, he said some other things about the seven eight seven. But it's interesting to see. I would love to be a fly on the wall, even though he's been so much more kind of forthcoming in, in the past eighteen months as he kind of moves towards retirement. I would love to hear some of those conversations, even if he's still committed to the airplane. He can't be happy about it. No. I mean, airlines were probably happy initially when COVID started that, oh, great. I, I won't have to take delivery of this giant new aircraft I don't need when there's no demand for it. But now we've lived through the dip in demand of COVID for the most part. And I'm sure some airlines would be more than happy to take delivery of this now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But um, it it's yeah. really emphasizes that project timelines or certification timelines for, for some other aircraft are just completely unrealistic. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at Boom. I'm looking at all the EV tolls and all the other electric aircraft. If it's taking Boeing this long to certify a derivative aircraft, how are 
any of these other companies that are making their first aircraft for the first time based on completely new technology, um, how are they going to stick to their deadlines where, where they're saying, oh, yeah, well, enter commercial service with an airline by 2024? No, you're not. Come on. Yeah, I, I don't think that those are are reasonable. But we've talked about why those companies are are so optimistic in their certification time periods before and and that you know sticks with the financial aspect of uh, of our discussion here today and, and I'll leave it at that the triple seven nine rate will go down to zero uh, through nearly all of 2023 and to pick up the slack for not building any triple seven dash nines they will increase the triple seven freighter capacity starting in late 2023. So if you're a fan of the GE90, it's good news for you. Yeah, there's a a bit of a bridge there, but still not great. Yeah. Speaking of not great, but maybe getting better, uh, Boeing says it has submitted its, I guess, recertification plan for the 787 to the FAA and is awaiting approval for its plan on how to rework all those aircraft that are, are are backing up and can't be delivered. So no timeline on that, but hopefully soon, maybe? Hopefully soon, maybe. The latest guidance from inside Boeing that, that we had heard reported out was the second half of 2022. So sometime this year, uh, hopefully. If the FAA's got the plan, that's hopefully good news as well. How much needs to be reworked on the rest of those aircraft that's still an open question but one that if they've if they've if they're saying that rework has been completed on the initial airplanes then hopefully it seems that they've figured this out they're ready to go and they can start delivering the aircraft or redelivering the aircraft soon i mean i would love to see new 787 deliveries as soon as possible i you know i just feel that like they've got to get something, they've got to have some good news, and they got to keep moving forward. Well, there might be some good news with the Max. Tell me about that. Things are finally looking up. There's the orders are looking up. The deliveries were were fairly good for the first quarter. So I, I think you know that's one of the bright spots in the Boeing portfolio. Yeah, um, I think this was not announced during the the financials, but also on the space side, the Starliner is finally getting another chance at an uncrewed test launch. I think this summer or maybe fall. I'm not I'm not quite sure. I don't have the date in front of me, but that's another <laughs> Boeing program that has gone horribly wrong, but should hopefully finally uh, see uh, it, its next launch after a couple of years of of rework and, and software debugging. Yeah, getting getting back on track. Before we leave the the Boeing earnings or, or first quarter report, this was a really interesting one because the CEO of a company who was on the board of directors at the time came out and said, this was a terrible deal. We never should have done this, but we did it. And so we're stuck with it. What are we talking about? We're talking about the new aircraft that will eventually be Air Force One. Ah, uh, plural. It's two aircraft. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, well, no, I take that back. The plural, the plural of aircraft, aircraft, is aircraft is aircraft. Ah, I take I it back. Like, yes. Yeah, yeah. You, <laughs> now you had it right. I apologize. I right. You had it right. This one made the rounds today and it is quite hilarious that Boeing, who had 
obviously a 100% lock on landing the contract for Air Force One. The Air Force, especially under the Trump administration, was not going to sign with Airbus for the new Air Force One. But the deal they made was just so horrible. They have already lost what was it? A billion one point six six hundred. Uh, it, the total program cost will be one point five billion. They've lost six hundred and sixty million dollars. That's pretty astounding for a contract which was basically no bid. That they had no chance of uh, of losing it. Somehow they've lost two thirds of a billion dollars. I I mean how. So so <laughs> well. Yeah. Part of the contract was that any cost overruns would be borne by. Boeing, which I guess kudos to the Trump administration because you had to have known there were going to be cost overruns because when is there not cost overruns? But when when in the history of anything has something come in? Yeah, especially on time with the precedent Boeing has set with other military contracts like the seven six seven tanker. But this is just like, how do you lose that much money on a contract which you could have just made up of a number, but yet? More evidence that the Boeing executives at the time, Muhlenberg is no longer with the company, but but they were not on the top of their game at the time. Yeah, and going back to well, actually going going back to John Ostrower, he he's posted something today, and I'll, I'll toss this as in show notes because it was worth a read. The whole thing, his reporting was basically this has nothing to do at at the time. This has nothing to do with Air Force One. Actually, it's all about selling commercial aircraft. To China, and and he explains what he means by that. Now I'll put a link into the show notes because there was more to the deal than just providing the airplanes on on Boeing's behalf and and what they got out of it. The real upside for Boeing was being able to sell sell to China. Yeah, did not uh, age in, well in part of that deal. No, that did not work out. Um, no, so they're you know not a great situation. But overall, the first quarter results from Boeing. Could be moving. worse. It could be worse. I, I, kind of moving in a direction that seems. I don't know if it's moving necessarily positively, but it's moving forward, and it seems to be a little bit more sure of itself. Yeah. Look, they're delivering maxes to almost all of the the world at this point. China is still a no no, but for most of the world, the max saga is in the rearview mirror. Right. So, moving moving ahead. Let us go Airbus. now to, uh, to over to Airbus. So the dispute between Airbus and Qatar Airways has continued or is continuing. And as part of that dispute, uh, Airbus canceled Qatar's order for A320, 50 A320neos. A month or so ago said, no, you can't do that. Now, a court has said, yeah, go ahead and cancel that order. Ah, I love the court systems. So that has been decided, and Airbus can now go ahead and and sell those additional fifty A three twenty one Neos. The fight has now turned to Airbus and Qatar fighting over the resale of the A three fifties that Qatar had ordered that have been cancelled. Qatar is saying, "No, no, no, you can't resell those." Airbus is saying, "Well, we have to do something with them." Yeah, that's a perfectly legitimate stance, I guess, for both the A350 and A321 Neos. Both of those are, are very highly sought after aircraft that I'm sure will be, if those slots do end up popping up, they will be uh, snatched up pretty damn quick. 
Yeah, I, I think that um, the three twenty one neos, especially is as there's a huge backlog for those. I, I think if if they do come up, they'll be taken right away. The A three fifties will be interesting to see who wants those if they're eventually available. Um, but uh, we'll we'll keep checking that one out. Over in Poland, things are not great. Tell me more. It, so this is. May 1st is the deadline for a very bad situation kind of coming to a head. A situation that's been developing over the past couple of years and one that um, has it, – it's not a simple situation and it's much more complicated than, than we could even possibly get into. But the long and the short of it is air traffic controllers are extremely upset uh, with their bosses in the government, and they have said we need better working conditions and we need to be more well compensated. And the government has said no, we actually want to take money away from you and pay you less. Heck, that's, the negotiation stance. Yeah, that's very, very kind of boiled down. As a result. A large number of air traffic controllers in the Warsaw region have all, or, and across the country have already quit or are in the process of quitting as part of the you have to give X number of days of notice and, and things of that. Nearly 90% of the air traffic controllers in the Warsaw area are have, have either already left their positions or are in the process of leaving their positions within the notice period. So, beginning May 1st, the government is imposing a significant downgrade in the ability to operate flights to and from cities in Poland. Warsaw is going to go from 510 operations per day at its two airports down to 170 flights per day at just Warsaw, uh, the just Chopin Airport. The airport will only be operational between 9.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. There will only be operations to 32 destinations, and those destinations will be limited basically to, to major hubs, cities, and national capitals. So, LOT is going to get to operate most of the flights at, between Warsaw and, and other uh, in, interior and other countries. Then it'll fall to a couple of flights to Ryanair, a couple of flights to Wiz, and then national airlines. So the regulations are that the airline that carried the most number of passengers on a given day that between those two cities, between Warsaw and that other city, that airline will be allowed one flight per day. So, for instance, you know, Warsaw, Dubai, that'll be Emirates. Warsaw, Amsterdam, that'll be KLM and, and so on and so forth. But it is not good. It is really not good to see this type of disruption. The initial thinking or the initial plan published by the government had a much more significant disruption to air traffic over Poland as a whole. They've kind of whittled that down to um, they're not going to be canceling any flights they're working with neighboring countries to, to route some traffic around, similar to, to when French air traffic controllers go on strike and then flights have to go around. That will still happen, but it, it sounds like overflights won't be canceled, which is a, a very good thing given that a lot of flights have already been pushed into Poland 
given uh, that air traffic to the east of Poland has been severely disrupted by the war in Ukraine. Yeah, that's uh, not good for anyone. But man, am I happy right now with my decision to not book my trip to Hamburg via lot, which I, I had in 2019 and, and for obvious reasons did not. Or I booked it in 2019 for travel in 2020 and refunded rather than rebooking as I almost did for June of this year. But this is not good for anyone since if 90% of their controllers quit or will quit, it's no quick fix. They can't just start working the next day again. So no, this, is just, this, is- this is something that nobody needed, but is not something that we haven't seen before here in the US in, in, in the Reagan era. It was kind of the opposite where everyone said, you can't, well, not, didn't exactly go like that, but Reagan fired them all. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And this is the exact opposite situation where it's, you can't fire me. We, I quit. Yeah. So not great, but I'm sure their complaints are probably warranted because I, I know they are here. Controllers are in short supply. They work mandatory overtime. There just aren't enough of them. Constantly, we see at many of the in-route centers here that there are just staffing staffing issues that lead to delays. And it seems like not just here in the US, but in, in a lot of places, air traffic controllers just aren't given the resources and the, the, the bodies they need to efficiently run. And in Poland, they said, you know what? We're done. This is your problem. Yeah. I- Basically, one of the big precipitating factors here, it's not even, well, part of it's the pay portion of it, but a a massive portion of the the discontent here is the fact that there has been a disagreement over the number of air traffic controllers on station for any given tower or area at any one time where there has been one controller operating a large number of flights or or busy airspace or a large airport and they feel that that's not safe or sustainable and so that's been one of the big complaints by the air traffic controller so so certainly it seems like they do have some valid points as far as being you know being upset about the situation and i just kind of on a purely this is not an aviation specific thing but just purely on an observation that if that many people are quitting maybe there's a problem yeah, yeah. And whatever they refuse to pay the controllers and, and hiring additional personnel or, or paying a little extra, surely they'll be paying extra now and, and, and having to deal with all of this. And airlines, I think a lot is state-owned having to deal with uh, all these issues and rebooking passengers and, and not being able to operate where it was supposed to. It's, it's nobody, not good for anybody. No. Not good, but hopefully getting better soon is the fuel situation in Johannesburg. This is one of those things where everything is logistics and the floods that have affected Johannesburg recently didn't necessarily affect the airport directly, but they did affect the roads and the rail lines that allow fuel to come into the airport. Uh, So that's led to the cancellation of flights by United and other airlines uh, like Swiss, I believe, um, and possibly KLM are stopping elsewhere to tanker in fuel. So they're making a tech stop on the way or on the way back to tanker in fuel so that they don't have to take on fuel in Johannesburg while the problem is resolved. and, And basically, they rebuild the railway. Yeah, I'm a little surprised that United just didn't add a stop along the way and just decided to to cancel the flight outright for some extended period. 
because they, they do operate some flights to West Africa. So a little surprised they didn't just add a tech stop along the way, but I'm sure they have their uh, their reasons for it. Yeah, I mean, just spitballing here, it, dealing with a a crew, kind of moving a crew instead of having a, a cruise. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what the issue is there, but it hopefully they resolve the situation soon. Hopefully everything works out and the fuel is flowing once again. But an interesting situation that kind of puts the focus on it. It's not always the aviation stuff, and now we're back to talking about trains. Ah. Always comes back to the old trains <laughs> and buses sometimes. And buses sometimes. But that is all we have for episode 161 of AvTalk. If you've enjoyed this discussion of mostly planes, a few trains, and Jason just had to throw in a bus, head to wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating and or a review. We greatly appreciate it. We like reading them. And we also like the fact that doing so allows more people to find this podcast and then we get to keep doing the show uh, because we love doing it. So please, please, please go out and leave a, a rating or review or if you feel so inclined. You can always reach us at podcast at fr24.com. We read every single email and I forward all of the good ones to Jason. I love him. Indeed. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.